say, now I want you to, in the next week, go through the New Testament carefully. And every time a question comes up, I want you to highlight that. And I want you to count. I'll save you the arduous experience and tell you that there's 182 of them. It's a lot of questions. And then I said, now the next week assignment is to go back and to look at all 182 questions, many of them which are proposed to Jesus and I want you to come back with the number that Jesus gives an answer to. I'll save you that tedious exercise as well. Three times. 179 times, he punts. He throws the question back. He rephrases it. He refuses to answer it. It's frustrating. You know, because we've all been there. We all have the question, and we want the answer. And it's hard for us to get that spirituality is about the question and not the answer. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said that the sin of American culture is that we are certain that we're certain. It's kind of the arrogance that we still have as a young developing country, and we're still relatively young here in North America. And we really think that's a virtue to have things wrapped up and tidy and black and white and, and very neat. And, and that affects the way in which we approach God and spirituality very often. And so when we invite you to look at life's priorities and tell you that what that's about is an exercise in asking courageous questions, that's what a sacred question is. It's a courageous question. Well, you know, very often we just don't want to go there because maybe even right now, just using that language with you, you begin to get a rumbling inside of your gut that says, oh, not that one. And I would say, yeah, that one. You mean the one that feels like a basketball inside the gut? Yeah, that's the one. That's the courageous question. Any work that you're going to be doing, really, that we're going to call transformative spiritual work, is going to be around that. The rest is intellectual exercise, curiosity. That's fine, but it doesn't move us to a place of transformation. So whenever we enter into this territory, I'm warning you, of course, that we're entering into territory without a map. And yet there's a map in this sense that this is the great tradition, the great spiritual tradition of all faiths is that of helping the disciple know how to ask the question of the master. And the job of the master is not to give a pat answer, but to give the koan, the riddle, the parable, so that you can scratch your head and chew on it for a while and come up you know, with the help of spirit, um, a conclusion that is far richer than anything that you would get out of a catechism book. Um, Charles de Foucault, the founder of the Little Brothers, said, you know, that Jesus didn't come on earth to leave us a catechism book. He, he, that's shocking, I know, to say in a church, but, you know, he, he came only to light a divine fire, you know, to kindle in us a passion. And that passion gets kindled every time we come close to our sacred question. So that's where we'd like to head. I'd like to start off by, by quoting uh, someone perhaps you've heard before, if you've kind of explored spiritual studies. I see you have the Abrahamic Initiative here. 
Uh, so the Baal Shem Tov, uh, the master of the holy name, a great rabbi, who asks this question, and why did the Holy One create the heaven of the Garden of Eden and the hell of Gehenna? Talk about a question that goes to the core. So that, he writes, one might borrow from each other, and how much space is separating them? They are right next to each other. Not even the thinnest membrane separated Jacob and Esau in the womb. That's good spiritual thinking. You see, it mixes it up. It doesn't allow us to say, heaven here, hell there. Doesn't allow that. It says sometimes they're just right next to each other. And I know you've experienced that. I know you have. Whenever we get close to mystery,